Well, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Becky, and uh, Gary and I have been in this church for 21 years or thereabouts. I think when Pastor Julian and Sharon first planted the church, I was away at university, and but Gary was here. He's like, Beck, Beck, need to come and check out this church. And so we've kind of been here ever since, and I've had the honor of being on staff for the last 14 years. So it has been an incredible journey. And over that time, I can honestly say, I have seen God do exceedingly, abundantly, more than I could ever ask or imagine. I have seen God come through with some incredible things in my life, in the church's life, in other people's lives. And the other Sunday we were here and I was sort of sat in the front sort of section over here and Lovely was doing the offering and she was talking about a lady who came to Jesus wanting healing and she used that word expectation. And it really did something on the inside of me. It really, made, it really challenged me about what is my expectations. Having seen God do the miraculous, having seen God move so powerfully, where is my expectation today? And so this morning, I'm just going to unpack four ideas around that concept of our expectations because we serve a good God, and we should have great expectations. I want you leaving this place this morning with such great expectations that you know that God is going to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can ever ask or imagine in your life. Is that okay? But before we start, I've got a story to tell you. This is a story from when I was a child. I was in primary school. I probably was about eight, and my brother would have been about 10. And my parents had some friends who were getting married in Germany. So they bundled us all in the car, and we drove through Belgium and Luxembourg, and we got to, got to Germany ready for this wedding. And I had this swishy, swirly dress, and I had my shiny shoes, and I was looking the part as an eight-year-old girl. And we went to this wedding. It was all in German. I did not understand a single thing that was going on. But then there was the party, and I get a party, whatever language it's in. And during the party, they had all these children come out, and they were dressed as different um, professions. There was a teacher and a baker and some other professions, and they were all there. And they sang this song in German. And afterwards, my dad came up to me and said, Beck, Beck, where were you? Did you see the children? Your brother was a baker. He had the baker's hat. He had the baker's overalls. Did you see your brother? And I just looked at him with a bit of confusion on my face. I was like, yeah, I saw my brother dressed as a baker. I, I saw the teacher with the books. Did, did you see the one with the, like, the check shirt and the, and the denim shorts and, and the boxing gloves, the boxer? Dad? That was me. <laughs> and my dad, who's here today, didn't recognize me at all. And I would love to say it is because my acting skills were far superior to my brother's acting skills, that he was so lost in the moment, so convinced by my acting, that he didn't recognize me. But if you talk to him after the service, he says it wasn't that at all. It was his expectations. He had last seen his little girl in her swishy dress, 
with her shiny shoes, his English-speaking daughter. And he did not expect his English-speaking daughter to be performing a German song dressed up as a feisty boxer. His expectations had blinded him from recognizing me in the middle of his circumstances. And how often do our expectations of how life should unfold for us, how often do our expectations of what things should look like, how often do our expectations of how prayers should be answered, does that blind us from seeing what God is doing in our very midst of our circumstances? So this morning, I'm going to let my dad off the hook because we are going to talk about some people who didn't just mistake a family member. They mistook the Son of God. They mistook Jesus for a ghost. Okay? So we are going to look. But before we look at this passage in the Bible, I'm going to do a bit of a scene setter for you. Okay? We're going to be looking at um, a time when the disciples were in a boat. But before that, they had been on the mountaintop. We've been singing earlier about being praising God on that mountaintop. And the disciples had been with Jesus, and there had been a big crowd, and the crowd had been hungry, and Jesus had got five loaves and two fishes, and he had given it to his disciples to share with the crowd. And that food had fed the 5,000 men, plus the women, plus the children. And the disciples would have seen it. They would have seen it in their own hands as they're going towards one person with a fish finger sandwich. And they're thinking, is this going to stretch any further? They saw it multiply in their hands. So they've just had their mountaintop. They have been to church. They know that God is an amazing miracle working God. That's what's just happened. So we're going to pick this story up in Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 and 26, it's on the screens. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Can you imagine the scene? Jesus like, guys, you just go, get the boat, head to the other side, I'll sort the crowd out. Leave it all with me. I'll deal with these guys. You go. And as they've trotted down that mountain, they're talking about what they've seen. They've talked about what they saw. They've talked about, you know, was it sea bass or was it trout? You know, they're, they're discussing it all as amongst themselves. And as they've gone down the mountain, they've got in the boat. This is their comfort zone. So many of them were fishermen. They knew boats. They were in that boat. They're chatting away. They're going. And then out of nowhere that storm started to pick up and that wind was against them. I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where I've been in church. Oh, I have sung about the goodness of God. I've heard messages that have built my faith and encouraged me. And then as I've journeyed out of church... Oh, I've stepped straight into a storm. I stepped straight into something unexpected. I'm sure there's been times in your life too. Suddenly, 
there's that letter. Suddenly, there's that bill to pay. Suddenly, there's that health issue in your body. Suddenly, there's that argument between in a good relationship. Whatever it might be, storms of life come to us all. And in that moment, what is your expectation? What do you expect God to do in the midst of your storm? For these disciples, they expected Jesus to be with the crowd. They expected that Jesus would feed the crowd, but he wasn't coming to rescue them. They weren't there looking in anticipation. Where is Jesus? He would never leave us. He would never abandon us. He must be coming towards us. That was not their expectation at all. I think probably their expectation was this is only going to end one way, and that's quite a bad way. And oh, look, there goes a ghost. We're probably going to be following next. That was their expectation. Why else were they seeing ghosts? They so were not expecting to survive this experience. Their expectation of God coming through for them was on the floor. But can I say to you this morning, you are not alone. This is my first point. God has not forsaken you. God has not left you. God has not deserted you. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. This morning, it doesn't matter what storm comes your way. It doesn't matter whether you're in the storm, coming out of a storm, or heading towards a storm. God is with you. And we're reading this, this story from the book of Matthew. But it's also in two other books of the Bible. And in one of them, in Mark, he says that Jesus was up the mountain and he saw the disciples straining at the oars and he went to them. Have you ever felt like, God, are you seeing me strain at the oars? Can I say, he has. And he's with you. He's coming towards you. He is there in the midst of your situation. And no matter how much it feels like you are straining, God is there in the midst of your situation. Let's see what happens next. Verse 28 and 29, it says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. This is quite a famous story. If you've been around church for for even a short amount of time, you may have well have heard about walking on the water and Peter stepping out of the water and, and going for that little walk. As I read this passage this week, I, I often put myself in the position of the characters. What would I do? Would I be like Peter going, hey, Jesus, if it's you, tell me, come, I'll, I'll step, I'll step. I don't know that that's what I personally would have done. I think I'd have been waving my arms like a frantic woman trying to get Jesus' attention. You know, like when the lifeboat's coming. I think I would be the one going, Jesus, over here, rescue me, save me, even though he's walking towards me. I still would be waving frantically, making sure he didn't walk by and making sure that he came to me. Or maybe, because I sometimes don't often look to Jesus to be the one to save me. Sometimes I think I can save myself. And maybe some of the disciples easily could have gone, ah, oh, Jesus is nearby. 
Do you remember there was another time when Jesus was nearby and we were fishing, but we hadn't caught anything. And Jesus said, throw your nets to the other side. And we did. And we caught an abundance of fish. Maybe it's another one of them. Maybe if I turn my oar upside down, I could paddle faster with the wrong end. Maybe if we got the sails down and threw them in the water, maybe that would uh, stop the wind. Or maybe if Jesus, just tell me what to do and I'll do it and I can help fix this problem for you. Anybody else ever been there? where you think you know exactly how God should fix your problem. But that's not what Peter did. What Peter did was said, God, if it's really you, say that one word again. That one word, come, was a very special word for Peter and Jesus. It was the word that Jesus first spoke to Peter when they met. Jesus had seen Peter a while back, and he Peter again had been fishing, and Jesus said to him, will you come? Will you follow me? And in that moment, Peter had left behind him his fishing business. He'd left behind him everything he knew, and he had chosen to follow Jesus. And in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the circumstances that he couldn't handle on his own, he's saying, Jesus, would you say that to me again? Would you tell me again to come? Because I will follow you. I know I can't do this life in my own strength. I know that this is beyond me, but I know that I'll follow you. I know that life, even if it's walking on water, being with you is better than being on my own in this boat. Jesus, will you tell me to come again? And my second point for us this morning is to remember that word that God has spoken to you. What is it that God has promised you? What is it that you've written in a notebook that maybe is now covered in dust? That dream that he gave you, that word that he promised you, what is it that you maybe need to go back to and you need to remember? Is there a podcast that you need to go and listen to again? Is there a song that you need to go and you need to sing again? What is it that God has given you that you need to go back to and remember? I know in my life there have been times when my body has been ill, but I have remembered that promise from God that says, by his stripes, you were healed. There's been times when Gary and I haven't had the finances that we've needed, but we've stood and we've said, but my God shall supply all the need, all our needs according to his riches in glory. There have been times when I've been anxious. There's been times when I've been afraid. There's been times when I felt lonely. There have been times when I've just felt overwhelmed, but in every single one of those, I have done what Peter's done, and I have stepped out on that word that God has given me, and that's one of the reasons why I've seen God do exceedingly abundantly more in my life, because his word is faithful. You can count on his word this morning. And as Peter stepped out on that water, as Peter stepped out We're going to read in the next verse. Verse 30, it says, But he saw the wind, and he was afraid, and he began to sink. He had his word. Jesus had told him to come. He had his promise. He'd stepped out in that action of faith. He was walking on water. But the storm hadn't gone away yet. The circumstances still 
hadn't changed. He was living in his promise from God, but his circumstances still hadn't changed. And in that moment, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he could hear the noise of the storm. Can I say, sometimes we hear the noise of those letters we've received in the post. We hear the noise of the people that are speaking against us. We hear the noise of what's happening in our bodies. We hear the noise of what we're reading on social media as we compare our lives to other people's lives. We hear the noise of what the world is trying to tell us. And we feel those waves of anxiety. We feel those waves of, ang- of, of depression. We feel those waves of overwhelm. And in that moment, we start sinking down because we're no longer looking unto Jesus. Our attention has been grabbed by the storm, and we're no longer expecting Jesus to save us. But in that moment, Peter cried out to Jesus. He cried out, and as the Bible tells us, Jesus rescued him. And can I say today, do not allow the storm of your circumstances to speak louder than the voice of God, because Jesus is with you. In Ephesians, it talks about the armor of God. It talks about how we have a shield of faith. It talks about how we have the sword, which is the word of God. And we can use this armor. We can use the sword as a thing that will help us through those situations and through those circumstances. But it ends by saying, and having done all to stand, stand. And that's my third point for us today. Is it that maybe you're in a situation where you just need to keep on keeping on? You need to, having done all, to stand. I know when Lovely was talking about expectations in her offering, there was a particular circumstance that God brought to my mind that actually my, I'd allowed my expectation to drop of what God was going to do for me. I'd allowed my expectation of how he was going to fulfill his word just drop slightly. And Lovely encouraged us all to stir up that expectation again. If you are standing on that promise, but the storm is still raging around you today, can I just say, stand firm. And having done all, stand because you are not alone. You have a word from God and you can stand in the battle. And then, of course, it's the great bit. Matthew 14, verse 32 and 33. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I can just imagine the scene, can't you? The disciples in the boat. First of all, they've been so scared, they think they're going to die and become a ghost. Then they've, seen, then they've realized that actually it's Jesus. Then they've watched their mate jump out of the boat and actually walk on water. Then they've seen him nearly drown himself because who knows what happened in that moment. They saw Jesus rescuing him. And then Jesus is bring, coming towards them in the boat and they're about to get into the boat. What were those disciples going to do? They are frantically clearing the decks. That bit of rope's being chucked into the back. That sail's being kicked under the bench. That fishing net is being moved out of the way because Jesus needs to get into the boat. They're making room for Jesus in their boat. That boat represented their everyday life. And my fourth point for us this morning is make room for Jesus in your everyday. They made room. They made sure that Jesus had a seat to sit on. They made sure that he was comfy. And it was at that moment 
they got their miracle. It was at that moment that the wind stopped. It was at that moment that that raging sea stopped battering them and and trying to sink them. And it's as we make room for Jesus that he's able to do something incredible in our lives. Now, we've all chosen this morning to be at church. We've all chosen in our schedules to make this space for him today. But what about Monday morning? What about when your alarm clock doesn't go off at the right time? You suddenly realize you forgot to iron your shirt. You suddenly remember that, ah, meant to pick some milk up on the way home from church and we forgot and now we haven't got enough for breakfast. In all the crazy of Monday morning, will you make room for Jesus and spend some time with him before you get into the crazy of your day? Or maybe you're an evening person. Maybe actually spending time with anybody, even God, is just not going to happen in the morning. Maybe you're one of those people that actually you love it at night. You just get into your bed. You've got your Bible. And you do whatever you do. And you pray. And you just thank God for the day that you've had. But sometimes actually you collapse into bed. And you look at your Bible. And you think... Can I encourage you, make room for Jesus, wherever it is in your day. Make room for Jesus. That moment when, you know, small group, but I've got that thing to do. Make room for Jesus. Turn up to your small group. It's your small group where you're going to get encouraged as you go on your journey. It's in your small group that you're going to have. Maybe you don't know what that promise is that you need to get you through this situation, but it's in your small group that they're going to gather around you and they're going to stand with you and they're going to weather the storm. Or maybe it's in the small group that actually you're the one. You're the one that's got the testimony. You're the one that's got the answer. And somebody in that group needs your voice. They need your encouragement. They need your reassurance that God is going to be there for them. Will you make room for Jesus in your everyday? Before I wrap up, I've got one more story to tell you. And uh, it's about our eldest son who's now 14. Well, he's 15 now. This was when he was 14. And him and his mates decided, as you do at 14, and you start thinking, oh, I want to go to a gym. I want to, I want to, you know. So his guys, they all went on the internet and they spoke to some friends and they sourced a gym got a good price. It was a special offer at the time, and they sorted it all out. All I had to do was to phone up the, bank, uh, phone up the gym and give my bank details. They did everything else. Oh, there was just one more thing I needed to do. I needed to be the one that went and picked him up after the gym. So, jump in my car. Didn't actually really know where I was going, because obviously just left them to it. Knew it was near a co-op. Um, knew the co-op had a car park. Didn't know if the gym had a car park. Didn't really know what to expect when I got there. So I'm driving along, spot the co-op, turn. Oh, a sign saying that's where the gym was. It just really reassured me. And there was a P for parking. I love this. And my other concern, not only was where was I going to park, but was, is my boy going to be all right? I'm a mum. He's 14. He's with a group of other 14-year-olds. They are of varying, varying heights and wits. They're also varying skin tones. There's a group of 14-year-old boys. They're going to be safe in this environment. I don't know. I don't know where they've gone. Is my boy going to be safe? I pull into this gym, into their car park, and as I'm going along the driveway, there's a mum, and she's with a group of girls. They look like maybe they were going swimming or something. The girls are skipping along. They've all got their bags, and they're all looking really happy, and 
drove on a bit further and there was a car and there were some people in the car waving at their friends and flashing their lights. And I was like, it's a nice, friendly place. I quite like this, actually. The building was all modern and new. And I'm scanning and I'm looking for my boy. I'm looking for a group of teens. Spotted a group where they were all the same height. I was like, no, that's not them. I'm looking. Can't see them. I think, well, maybe the other guys have got the bus and maybe he's on his own, so he's waiting inside. So I pull up the car and at that moment my phone rings and it's, it's my son. And um, I say, like, oh, that's good. I haven't got to go hunting for him. And I answer the phone and he's laughing. And I went, you know, he's safe, he's happy, he's well, all's good. He's laughing away. He's like, Mum, Mum, you just drove straight past me. I'm in Gina's car. We were flashing the lights. We were all waving at you. You just drove straight past me, Mum. I'd done what my father had done, hadn't I? But I expected him to be in a certain place. I was searching for him, looking for him in a certain place. And he wasn't where I expected him to be. And maybe you're new to church. Maybe a friend's invited you along today. Maybe you're new to the Christian faith. Maybe you've never really even considered faith. Maybe you're searching for something. Maybe there's been times in your life where you've been straining at those oars and you've wondered if anybody ever saw you. Can I say to you this morning, you weren't alone. And just like those disciples in the boat, can I say Jesus saw you? Jesus saw you every single time you strained at those oars. And it may be you didn't recognize him in the midst of those circumstances, but he was there. And maybe you didn't know how to pray, and maybe you didn't know your Bible, you didn't know what to do, but he was there. And this morning, in the way that my son phoned and went, Mom, this is where I am. This morning, I want to say to you, this is where God is. Maybe church doesn't look how you thought church would look. Maybe I don't look how you would expect a preacher to look. But God is here, and he wants to know you. He wants to know if you will make room for him in your everyday life. So church, can I just ask in this moment that you just all close your eyes and bow your heads so that nobody's looking around. There's a couple of members of the Connect team that are just watching as well because to be honest, in these lights, it's hard to see what's going on in the room. But I want to ask a question today. If you don't know Jesus, do you want to make room for him in your life today? Do you want to be someone that follows Jesus with that same strength and that same conviction that Peter had? And the same strength and conviction that we, many of us in this room also have. We know God to be a good God. We know him to be a God that exceeds our expectations. And today, it would be a great honor for me if I could introduce you to him because he loves you so much. Jesus, in fact, came to this earth because he knew none of us could do it on our own. And he took the price of every single thing that we ever did wrong on the cross. And maybe you don't understand that. Maybe you don't understand everything that that means. But if you today would like me to pray for you, if you would like me to introduce you to Jesus, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer in a moment. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say thank you to God for loving us. I'm going to say I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. And I'm going to say, please, God, today I make room for you. 
if you want me to pray that prayer for you, can I just ask that you slip your hands up so that I know who it is that I'm praying with. We had two people in this morning's service that said, yeah, Beck, I want you to pray for me. I want to know Jesus. I want Jesus in my everyday life. If that's you, do you just like to raise your hands? Thank you. Thank you. Once I've seen your hands, you can put your hand down. But is there, is there anybody else? So you just want to say, yeah, Beck, include me in that prayer too. Pray for me, please. I want to know Jesus. Okay. Right, church, we're going to pray. And if you're one of those people that put up your hand, I'm going to say a line. I'm just going to ask that we all repeat it so that nobody prays alone in this place. Father God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for me. I'm sorry for all the things that I've done wrong. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Today, I choose to make room for you. Amen. Come on, church, let's give a clap.